Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the U.S. The U.S. <laughs> the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. I'm Ron Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And all the Checo Perez fans that came out to the Checo Perez grandstand to watch their hero, Checo Perez, drive around waving the banner of the country of Mexico. Got to see almost the full God, lap. like three quarters of a lap, and that was it. <laughs> and apparently none of those Mexican fans really cared about Esteban Gutierrez so much, because it's all about Checo Perez. No, uh, yeah, we had um, what, what at times was not the most thrilling of races, but definitely had some moments, and we saw some really good battling, and... Unfortunately, it was a smaller grid of cars than usual, and I think that's, in my mind, sort of the top story and where we can begin, is we did not have it's any like, caterums or any marushas yeah. in the field today. It's like the top of many top stories, right? Like, it's been just a crazy uh, off-season, but you're right, caterum was not there, and in many ways... The surprise there was like, wow, you guys last a lot longer than we thought you would because times for that team had become tumultuous since the summer. Right. I mean, if you'll remember, uh, oh, God, of course, his name's escaping me now, but uh, Audi's factory WEC driver, Lotterer, yeah. um, in Andre Lotterer in the uh, in the car at Spa and saying, no, thanks for an offer to drive the car in Monza. That, I felt, was telling, and still they uh, persevered, and finally they said for the U.S., no, we're calling it off. The whole sale from Tony Fernandez and the previous ownership to a new consortium of, you know, I think Russian money and Middle Eastern businessmen and this whole thing, that apparently the way that has been mismanaged um, is the, the main focus of their problems because now we're getting press releases and things back and forth saying – Oh, well, you were supposed to pay us money if this certain things happened, and you know, if, you know, I'm only going to complete the sale if all the people in the office are paid, and then all the people in the office got fired, and so they didn't get paid, so then they didn't get the money. But it's like all this sort of back and forth about what should have happened. Yeah. None of which, of course, is going to be conducive to a good working environment, a good way to develop a race car, a good way to keep traveling all over the world, a way to stay focused on right. building a better car. Right. So you know, the the company being sued and probably rightfully so for terminating contracts and things, and and you know, letting a bunch of people go. And then, you know, in the meantime, these guys are out trying to, you know, drive race cars that don't have enough spares to do so and whatever. So it was kind of um, good that they were able to, you know, maintain as long as they have been, but really not a big surprise to hear they wouldn't be making the double header trip to the U.S. and Brazil. Um, and I think Caterham has said that they're out for the rest of the season. Marusha, if I recall correctly, thinks that they might be back in, in time for Abu Dhabi. And Marusha is really a very different story, right? right. They... They had the accident with Jules Bianchi, and afterwards at Sochi, they said, we are not going to run the second car. We are going to do this in honor of uh, Jules Bianchi. And it was like, okay, that doesn't make entirely all the sense in the world. You guys do <laughs> right. have a reserve driver. It's just as respectful to Bianchi to run the car in his honor. You know, we, we had that discussion. But then when they made the announcement later than Caterham, no less, that they were also not coming to the USGP, and just like you said, it sounds very unlikely that they'll come to Brazil, that goes right back to them not running the second car for Jules. You're like, oh, you guys are out of money. Right. And it was less less public that the situation was as dire as, dire as it was um, for Marusha, but... It's clear the case. And honestly, this one bugs me for much more selfish reasons. Because we don't get to see Alexander Rossi in the car? Exactly right. Yeah. See, that was what we talked about as sort of, okay, obviously not the way anyone wants to see this go down with Jules' accident. But, you know, if, if any good can come from it, it's it's to, you know, move things forward with other drivers. And, you know, in this case, especially Alexander Rossi, who's been so close now at so many different times um, to, to getting a race seat, to getting, you know, getting into qualifying even and all these things. Uh, so it would have been uh, just a, a you know a good opportunity for him, of course. Um, but in a way, you know, you hate to see anyone uh, drop off. And as I've talked about, um, I, I've sort of become this fan of Marusha, and especially Jules Bianchi as well, for you know getting two points. Um, because if, as you recall, it was the three new teams that came on for 2010, um, which was uh, you know Hispania Racing, HRT, which has gone since deceased, um, and Caterham, and uh, and then, at the time Virgin, right, and then uh, Marusha, which at the time was. 
Kempos meta. I don't even know what it was. It was there was all these things changed. No, Marusa was virgin. Marusa was virgin, right. And yeah. then Caterham, I guess, was Caterham. Oh, no, it was Lotus at the time. And then it was Lotus, Lotus, and then it was Caterham, Lotus. So anyway, the three new teams. <laughs> but the whole point is... Those, it's not confusing at all. Those three signed on. Part of that whole... Uh, for the 2010 season. Yeah, for that whole package. And, of course, USF1 was supposed to be there, too. But um, was... Uh, that okay, this is you know some new teams, um, and they were sort of promised a budget cap, and they say, hey, we're going to have this budget cap. And remember, that was very controversial at the time because the point was, or the questions were, uh, are there going to be, a, is there going to be a two-tier F1? You've got those with real money, and then those that don't, and how's that going to all be, and is that going to be terrible? And you know, there's not an easy answer to that, but it does seem like um, so they were they were sort of promised, okay, you'll be able to run this team on this amount of money and with certain sort of promises in place, which never came through. Right. So in a way, it's surprising that the teams have been able to keep on as long as they have. Um, but it's all, you know, it's, it's, of course, disappointing to see, uh, you know, lose, you know, losing uh, four cars from what, what should have been a 22-card you know, grid down to 18. Um, and then, you know, that's, so that's the all three teams from 2010, you know, back out of the sport. It's, you know, people, of course, treat this very differently. Some people are saying, oh, this is a travesty that shows this every, that everything is broken and that, you know, F1 is, you know, in chaos and is going to fall apart. I'm not so, so, so sure that that's the case. I mean, there have been lots of teams in F1 that have come and gone and all but, you know, nine of them um, are no longer in the sport. So that's not like the craziest thing in the world that these teams aren't, aren't happening. I don't think this, that, you know, Gene Haas and the Haas formula team and all that are now looking at this and think, Oh, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to do this. I don't think Honda is backing out from their, you know, developments and all that. I think, you know, the sport is still in general moving forward. It is, there are that there's like a bumbling undercurrent though. And, you know, amid, but to add to what you were just saying, there are at just at this point just rumors, but there are rumors about Audi maybe even getting into the sport. Right. Uh, so you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing when when a team folds. Um, I mean, for the individuals involved, sure, that's that's you know a problem. But in terms of the sport, um, but uh, you know, having two announcements, you know, basically from one race to the next, having two teams gone is a big change, and that is a big shock. When you know that you have to look at it. it's not just oh, this one team must have not been doing very well. It's like well, hold on, two teams from one race to the next. That is a, a you know that does sort of alert you to the fact that hey, there's there's more to this than uh, than just simply one team was mismanaged in the way a sale was handled wasn't ideal and so on. Um, and, and our, our Will Buxton um, on Free Practice 3 on Saturday was saying that uh, there's more – the grumblings from the smaller teams are getting louder and louder that the setup in Formula 1 is quite unfair. It's unbalanced, and it it favors the big teams and favors big business and that kind of thing, which – the casual observer might say, well, duh. I mean, it's yeah. clearly that way. But at the same time, it's like the whole point is to be start a small team and get bigger. I mean, you know, Jaguar, you could argue, was a big team, but they were only moderately successful. And Red Bull turned it into a very successful team. Right. Uh, not so much this year, but, you know, not notwithstanding, they're still the only other team with wins this year. And... I think that's that's kind of the goal. And then it was ironic because we were watching NBC Sports coverage yesterday and uh, Sky Sports coverage today. And it was an uh, interview with Bernie Ecclestone. And Bernie was staunch and defiant. It's like Formula 1 is what it is. Those teams can basically go F themselves. And, uh, I mean, that's that's the viewpoint. Yeah, and it's it's weird because, of course, Bernie is known for saying, you know, what's on his mind, but it's – with you know with a reason behind it to try to make a point or to try to get the right things written about it and so on so um you know when he says oh yeah it's, it's all up to the teams and so, you know i think there was a question about well shouldn't the money be reallocated differently he goes well that's up to the teams you know they, they can do that but i don't know that the, you know the, the having the teams run it is is a little bit weird in, in a way i mean there's sort of this weird leadership between bernie Ecclestone, then the actual you know the money guys behind that with cbc capital partners and the companies you know that have their shareholders and they have a certain direction they want it to go then there is the um what teams association uh, which not all the teams are part of and then ferrari has sort of special say and then there's the fia and the rules they make and how they govern what happens so it's just so murky and some of these documents i mean you know the concord agreements that are signed that you know talk about the business of the sport and how money uh, moves around are confidential anyway so people you know we sort of know bits and parts about uh what's in there but we don't don't really know so you know you could you can imagine a much simpler rule um and even of course in, in racing in the states you know when there's nascar and indycar championships um part of one of the things you can pull up right on the website is 
who, who's won what races, how many points are they making, how many dollars have they made because of that. It's like used as part of the marketing as, hey, look, he's gonna, you know, if he wins this race, he could win a million dollars. And it's almost like it's a bit of, you know, of a game show kind of thing. But it's true. That's that's part of, you know, something that fans can get behind and can see, wow, my driver, you know, I really like this guy. And wow, he just made $200,000 for this finish in whatever race. You know, there's some sports treat it very differently and have it be very public. And you can imagine a much simpler approach like split the money between the teams very uh, just evenly. You say, okay, there's, you know, however much this you know, fund is for this is the budget for the teams divided by the number of teams. Everybody gets the same amount because teams like Ferrari and Red Bull and Mercedes and McLaren can get more money because they have much more clout with sponsors. You know, these, these sponsorship deals that you see on the cars and obviously the big, you know, the title sponsorships um, and, you know, think the, you know, Santander bank and shell for Ferrari and uh, you know, I guess Mercedes being its own thing. Um, but you know, they have a well, the deal with Petronas. I was just going to say they have Petronas. So, you know, there's plenty of money that will come to them. So it's not like they're all, you know, everyone's going to be making some small amount of money and that the big teams can't get bigger and so on. I think that is a more merit-based system to, to say, hey, if, you have, if your results are bringing you to the, to the front of the grid and having your driver and all these interviews with your sponsors on, the, on, you know, on his clothes, then you can get more sponsorship. So there's ways but that to reward might even the teams. Be, you, you're right, but that might even be part of what Bernie is saying that is up to the teams. Are the big teams willing to give up a bigger chunk to the smaller teams. It's like, okay, because the way it works is, you know, Formula One gets half, and then the other half gets split among the teams. And even that's weird because then, you know, Ferrari immediately gets some off the top regardless of what happens to the rest. And then it's like based on, you know, finishing position and, and whatever down to 10th in the championship. But whoever's 11th doesn't quite get nothing, but it's a huge drop off in points. And of course, that's why it's so cool that Marussia is 9th, you know, with the two points that Jules got them in Monaco. Right. And, uh, and, but even so, you know, now they're in, you know, bankruptcy, you know, uh, what reorganization or whatever. Um, so hopefully. And you have to be, it's not even just be. 10th you have to be 10th two two years out of three or something like that there is like an extra proviso there yeah it's it's bizarre so yeah and i guess yeah there are results going back a number of years as part of that too so even though red bull you know if, if they even if they didn't have any wins this year and, and were way back in the championship which they're not um you know they would still do well based on their previous success so even one bad year or two bad years isn't enough to completely sink you but there's a lot of weird kind of math and behind the scenes and various you know parts of it that uh, that make it very complicated. And you can imagine a simpler system um, could be more transparent, could be better. But like you say, no one, no companies want to give up any money that they're getting right now. No one's really going to probably sign exactly. up for that unless they really see this outcry from the smaller teams and believe the fact that hey, actually this whole sport could be crumbling. You brought them up a couple of times, and they actually created uh, quite a stir on their own, although not directly connected to Formula One. Um, Ferrari has been owned by Fiat for decades. They were bought, if I remember correctly, in 1969 and been owned uh, by the Fiat Group ever since. Well, no more. Fiat is selling Ferrari. So Ferrari, somehow, one way or the other, is going to become more of, I should say at a minimum, a independent company of the other Italian firms, which has a lot of its own interesting um, scenarios that are possible, right? Because a small car company, it's nearly impossible to survive these days because you need to be able to bring a lot of volume and market share to uh, things with at, to suppliers for suppliers to give you good prices so that your cars aren't insanely expensive. Ferrari, Ferrari cars are already insanely expensive, so maybe they have a little bit more of a cushion there. But most likely... Some big company is going to buy up Ferrari that isn't Fiat. No, that's, Fiat still owns a majority interest. I don't think anything's really going to actually change because uh, it's still, you know, the, the Agnelli family owns like 40% of whatever, then Fiat Chrysler Automotive owns. They're uh, selling 10% to start. Right. And going to sell more. But it's, so I don't think it's going to have much of a short term impact. And short term, correct. I agree with you that it's not going to have like in the next three months type of thing. But I, I don't know. In the next two years. Um, I, that could shift quite a bit, and that could shift the paradigm of the, what is the Ferrari powerhouse. Because as much as as much as it's important that Ferrari is Ferrari on its own, Ferrari had a, a cushion that was the Fiat Motor Group, and now it doesn't have that cushion anymore, or won't, or it'll have less of it, or something. And it might be an opportunity, like just as a for instance, what if Volkswagen buys the ten percent that Fiat sells right away? And they start chipping away at uh, the equity that Fiat has. Well, that, as a for instance, all of a sudden would mean that 
uh, Lamborghini and Ferrari are owned by the same folks. So there's all kinds of potential implications here. It's not direct a direct concern of Formula One, and it's not an immediate concern for the people that are directly connected. But it's something to keep our eye out on. I mean, our eye on, because this could mean, let's just say, let's give it a, a five-year look down the road. Ferrari could be a very different place, potentially. It might be nothing. That's possible, too. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And in my mind, that, that stirred my emotional pot. That uh, made me wonder about uh, Ferrari. And it, then it does, just as a quickie little thing, I do wonder what Fiat is thinking. Because this comes off the tails, of course, of um, Montezemolo um, resigning from Ferrari after being in charge for decades and all these kinds of things. So it's interesting times uh, for arguably the most important uh, team in Formula One. I am using air quotes there because, uh, as you were just saying, I'd say rightfully so, all the teams are more or less equally important and should be paid thusly. Um, But, you know, there's the history there and all that kind of stuff. So that was announced in between Sochi and the USGP as well. Yeah, and I don't know if that's going to make that much of a difference, but we will see. I Well, you know, I hope you're right. But it's something to keep an eye on. Well, it could be for the better. I mean, it's not necessarily bad, uh, you know, being being separate and having uh, having their own, you know, group of investors and people that want Ferrari just to succeed as its own company, Ferrari, and not having to necessarily tie in with anything else. But, uh, you know, it's, it just seems like for now it's sort of a business thing and just oh, like, okay, they're on the stock, listed on the stock market separately. But it's the same power structure and the same people in charge and stuff. And, yeah, we'll see if that changes and, and how that all goes. But... At any rate, um, I mean, you have to say um, Mercedes really is the powerhouse of Formula One right now. I mean, for 2014, um, obviously they've you know already uh, ages ago now it seems uh, <laughs> you know clinched the constructors' championship. Well, uh, they emotionally clinched it months ago, right? I think... And it was finally <laughs> official, <laughs> right? At uh, was it Sochi or was it J- it was Sochi, not Japan? And uh, am I missing a Grand Prix in between? Sochi and now, no. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it was some. It was somewhere in there. Anyway, uh, they were definitely once again the powerhouse here at, in Austin. Right. And now um, it is down to the drivers' championship is down to either Lewis or Nico. Now I think um, so. Daniel Ricardo, Ricardo is more than seventy five points behind. Right. He is ninety. Uh, no, he's one hundred and two points back. That's so. more than seventy five. Yes. So that is uh, that is a thing. So they've you know clinched it one way or the other. We don't know which driver, but one of those drivers will be 2014 World Drivers' Championship. So obviously things are going really well for them. Um, and today, uh, you know, it was it was a 1-2, uh, you know, for the start of the race and a 1-2 at the end of the race, although not in the same order in which they started. And that was sort of the the most interesting part of, uh, of well, maybe actually not, the, there was some great racing throughout the rest of the field. So that was the more interesting part. But um, certainly the most meaningful pass in terms of the championship and the and it was right one, at the front. It was at uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, go-to place to pass for the win. I mean, it was... His it was the exact place in a very similar way that he passed Sebastian Vettel in 2012. Yes, which we saw with our own eyes at that <clears> point <throat> when that was the inaugural U.S. Grand Prix from the Circuit of the Americas, and yeah. uh, and we were there back when both my eyes agreed with each other. Even. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, that was a that was a brilliant um, that was a brilliant move to see, and it was a nice uh, little moment of reminiscence for me, and it was something that frankly I. I was kind of predicting from the moment I said Lewis is still going to win this thing, and you know, at at with the first first session on you know first set of tires, Nico seemed to be holding his own, doing just fine. But then it it unraveled. Right. I mean, and right before um, before both the, both their pit stops, which I think were back to back in terms of laps, um, you know, Hamilton was pretty close for a while. But then he he backed off. He lost a few seconds, and he was like three or four seconds back. And yeah. then when Hamilton was nowhere near uh, passing Rosberg, when Rosberg came out of the pits, you sort of figured that would be your chance, right? Is your teammates peeled off? He's no longer holding you up. Now Hamilton should be able to do his thing. And, and even he did, on, not even at on all. worn tires, you know, set a really amazing lap and just leapfrog Rosberg in the pits. No. It was, you know, he you know, may have lost some time relative to Rosberg there. But for whatever reason, he was able to, to just hold tight maintain his tires i think you know let rosberg wear his down a bit more and then choose the right time to attack so some combination of tire management and strategy and then just you know good driving um was able to to make it happen and then there was not really 
a push from Rosberg. I mean, he would get closer and Lewis would respond and it would go back and forth a little bit. But That's right. But there wasn't really a challenge. I think Rosberg at that point, it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, didn't come together for him. So there was sort of this, you know, three, four, five second uh, gap between them and got down to two and a half seconds or whatever. But it seems like, you know, it never really got under two seconds. It seems like Lewis was just able to respond back if uh, if Rosberg started getting close. So basically, yeah. He just owned it today, I would say, Hamilton did, you know, and yeah. uh, was just able to, to really make it work. And it's cool that it was a pass on the track. I mean, you know, as, as much as we were expecting and are kind of used to that in Formula One, if the uh, the way to get around someone is by, you know, out strategizing them and they Tactic, pit. Tactic, strategy, and whatever. whatever you want to call but it. But yeah. it is cool that it was actually, okay, but down to a, a straight fight and, uh, you know, Hamilton was able to pass and, you know, get in front and stay in front of, of Rosberg and uh, make it happen that way. So that always that's always good. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, so far it is kind of going the way that some people are, you know, nervous about that. Where Lewis is winning the races and Nico is coming in second and seven points uh, at a shot, um, Lewis is marching away with the championship. However, we still, you know, so if if history, you know, if it does repeat itself, um, you know, if uh, we're going to come into worst case scenario. Even if Nico does not score a single point and Lewis wins yet again, Lewis Hamilton will be 49 points ahead of uh, Nico Rosberg. And uh, that means that Nico Rosberg absolutely will still have a chance of winning the uh, world championship in Abu Dhabi. If troubles, if trouble befalls Lewis Hamilton in Abu Dhabi and Nico wins that race, it could still be Nico's championship. Right, which, of course, is the whole point of double points, of, of that rule, and something that very few people have been happy with over the course of the season. Although I think people, now that we're getting there with this season, um, you, you know, people even did look back and say, oh, well, what, what would double points have done and looking at previous years and whatever? But now that we, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen in Brazil, we don't know what's going to happen in Abu Dhabi, I guess it, it is adding to some extent to the excitement. Although, to put it another way, it seems like the championship is coming down to the wire anyway. Right. You know, the double points will, you know, can affect that. We don't know yet if it will or not, of course. It could just be that Hamilton wins in Brazil and Hamilton wins again in Abu Dhabi, at which point double points would make no difference at all for the win. Now, for a second, third, fourth, well, second place, it's going to be one of the, the other Mercedes guy. But right. um, that's, a good, I mean, another question, right, is, is between, um, you know, if Botas has an amazing race in Abu Dhabi and could he, you know, then jump uh, over Daniel Ricciardo, could Vettel, so, you know, like the mid-pack, could in in a way stand the most to to really shift here. But um, to your point, exactly, not the mid pack at all. You're you're talking about top five. Well, yeah, actually, <laughs> um, and then you know, so depending how that all shakes out, um, but the, the the trouble is. You know, Abu Dhabi is not known for the most dramatic of races. I mean, we don't usually hardly ever get rain. Um, we don't, uh, you know, there's, it's, you know, we've, I guess we've had some, some good moves because it's down to the wire championship. Um, I'm, I'm recalling Alonso stuck behind Petrov for laps and laps and, not, you know, not able yeah. to get around and then, which got Vettel his championship. And, right. you know, some, there's definitely been some, some times of, of interesting things, but, you know, it's, it's still, it still just doesn't quite sit right with me. I mean, you know, you kind of, it's easier to see now the point of, um, really trying to stretch it out to the to the end of it but we've had such good finishes to the last few seasons that um you know it's uh, you know it, it seems like you know pointless isn't the word for double points but uh you know it, it does still seem a bit artificial <laughs> and man if it, the fact that it you know if uh if it's a 49 point lead for lewis and it all goes wrong and, and rossberg wins by a point or somehow you know it's it's tied and they go down to second positions or you know whatever like um, and, and well, it goes I mean, to, if, to if it somehow became a tie, Lewis would win the tiebreaker. It's number right. wins, right? Because it's number wins, and, he, and he's got that. So, if I guess it would have to be the win by one point. Um, if if Rosberg wins it that way, man, I, you know, I don't know. It's like <laughs> that's good for him, but geez, you know, it's really seems right. like it's, it's gonna have it's gonna have a, a, a stink to it. It's not right. gonna feel pure, and i don't think nico will care and i don't think he should ultimately were it to happen that way right because this was the championship that they both entered in at the very beginning of the season it's no right. fault of nico's but right and there was actually an article and of exactly that of no surprise at all where nico says oh i would have no qualms over you know if i win the championship only because of double points i would have no qualms about that and of course why would you you know if you win a championship then you win a championship right it's not 
uh, illegal or anything like that. It's not even like Nico. Is, <laughs> well, it's not like I'm thinking of like Nico steroids. Rosberg, in, you broke the law. Well, think of like steroids in baseball or something. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to win at any means possible, even breaking the law. Or that would be funny if you know Nico Rosberg put steroids in his gasoline tank. <laughs> but um, you know, and it wasn't even like it was Nico crying out for double points in the offseason. And he's like, finally, I've been vindicated. In modern Formula One, what you see, you'd see double A batteries stuffed in his pockets of his racing suit. <laughs> Like, oh, there's more curves. I got my extra errors going. Yeah, really. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fascinating that uh, that's, a, that's the thing. But at the same time, uh, that is quickly becoming the only way that Nico will win the championship. So as long as Lewis maintains a level head, let's say Nico wins the race uh, in Brazil. Well, Lewis Hamilton can do almost anything – um, and uh, still, uh, still be ahead in the championship. And um, you know, if he's what, if he's ninth, he definitely maintains the lead. And all he has to do is you know beat Nico, however, in Abu Dhabi, or right. he doesn't completely mess up in Brazil and has a healthy lead going into Abu Dhabi. And let's say Lewis Hamilton wins that race too. You know what I mean? There's there's still way more options for Lewis Hamilton going into the finale. So there's not any real cause for concern. But I think what is true is that there were a lot of rules and changes in the sport over time where people don't like it first and then they get used to it. And then it's like, oh, whatever, it's no problem. I think this is one where it's been very consistent where like we're – Many people in the sport said, this is a mistake. We shouldn't have double points. Right, and that's the thing, that if it does get changed, you know, if they announce in the offseason, oh, yeah, this is not going to come back for 2015, um, and if Nico wins by virtue only of those double points, then that's where it's sort of a bit of an asterisk on the on the rule book. To it's be like, true. Well, Nico Rosberg won, but that was the only year that we ever did double points. You know, so if it stays, But we'd have to you know, ensure that... He only won because as right, well. Right, because, yeah, that's true. So anyway, that's that's still a couple races off now. We do have a race in just a week's time from Brazil, and then uh, and then after that a week off, and then the thrilling, hopefully, finale from Abu Dhabi. But uh, today in Austin, though, uh, like we said, there were a couple of moments where there wasn't a lot going on, but we saw, I mean, Alonso just, like, really driving his heart out again, uh, and I think uh, the track here does lend itself to continuation, the, some of these battles where, you know, you kind of, you try to do like an over-under, you know, where you, you know, somebody right. passes you, you a try lot to pass of multi-corner back. battles, yeah. And sometimes that lasts like six or seven corners here, which is great. I mean, usually you get, you know, maybe maybe it's one corner, maybe it's a, some, you know, sort of a back and forth from S's, and, and that's about it. And then like, you know, the, the, the pass either happens or it doesn't, and then the tension kind of, you know, breaks, and, and you go back on the straightaway, and one guy's ahead. But here, with especially like, you know, the end of sector one, and, and, uh, and then, you know, before the, the big long straightaway, and so on, um, you've got this great series of corners, and we saw just some excellent battles. I mean, we saw, you know, with with Vettel trying to fight his way through the field, of course, starting in pit lane. Uh, Jean-Eric Verne getting crazy racy at the oh, end of the man. race. Jeb was tearing <laughs> it up. Not to mention his epic dive bomb in turn one. Well, it's debatable whether that was cool or not. I mean, it was looked cool at the time, but if I was a Grosjean fan, it's not like I'm not, but you know what I'm saying. If I was like a diehard Grosjean fan, I'd be, I'd be calling foul on that. That was pretty, pretty much a... It was a similar move to what Checo did on opening lap with much less dire consequences. So it wasn't as extreme, certainly, but in general, it was similar. Right. And uh, and as Martin Brundle said on the Sky coverage we watched, uh, you know, that's sort of one of those hero or zero moves. And in this case, it arguably worked out. I mean, he did hit Roman Grosjean. It was not without, you know, right. if he had made that work and just was inches away but didn't hit it, that would have been... Wow, that's amazing and crazy. Um, and of course, if he'd caused a massive crash, then everyone would said, "Wow, that's the dumbest thing." Dude, that ever was done. really the edge of the pre- precipice, though. He really right. just pushed it as far as he could push it and got away with it. I mean, we saw that with three cars going in, basically almost three wide, uh, into almost the same spot, and uh, it was just kind of one of those crazy edge of your seat moments of, "Oh, that's going to happen here," and then it yeah. was actually kind of came out okay. But so re- anyway, yeah. Uh, Alonso did great, you know, coming sixth at the end of the day. It seems reasonable, although not great. But what's fascinating, um, Williams was definitely the best of the rest team, you know, being quite competitive in qualifying especially. But, God, once again, for me, driver of the race, Daniel Ricciardo. He ended up on the podium. He drove aggressively and cleanly and got a lot done. I mean, a lot 
of great driving for and him. yeah some really proper moves but maintaining the strategy maintaining you know he really had the just had it all together and i, I have to say i agree i mean he's just done uh he's done really well and really shows that you know you can put him in just about any situation of you know low down force high down force low grip Let's whatever say you've just started trimming your chin and your razor breaks right you know he, he just runs with he it he can deal with it any situation and he'll he'll go with it but it's it's very true i mean it seems like he 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 sort of got that red bull and above the williams arguably higher than it deserved to be uh and and was able to do well i mean vettel started 18th but uh, was able to get up to 7th place but uh, not ahead of of alonso and vettel's strategy got a little weird when they did the double stop behind the safety car oh, and then it all you know it was sort of and then he stopped two more times after right. that. It got you know that that was a gamble on the strategy, and I can't really say it paid off for them in this case. But hey, it, you know I guess it could have been worse considering starting dead last and uh, working his way up the field. So hopefully that puts Vettel in at least a good spot for the rest of the rate or the rest of the season uh, with his new power unit, and it can go well. But I have to say, you know, he sounded like he was struggling for pace in the car and didn't know why. Was just saying, hey, why why are we so slow? Like, yeah. you know, he couldn't say it was the one. You know, oh, the gearbox is weird, or the tires are bad, or the arrow is not right, or the power, or whatever. It's just kind of like this car is just too slow. Yeah, make my car better, please. Right. Um, so, you know, anyway, it's uh, Daniel Ricardo. Uh, I think will fit perfectly in as lead driver at Red Bull next year. It- Pretty much um, is. I mean, he's, yeah, good point. He kind of is now um, with the way Vettel is going. Um, we, of course, still haven't officially, uh, nothing's been announced about where Vettel will be driving next year. Um, or, I mean, I would say if, but I'm pretty sure he will be driving next year. Um, Al- Alonso technically is still not signed anywhere. We don't know the future drivers at McLaren. I mean, nothing really since the, our last show has been confirmed. Right. Um, and maybe not. Maybe nothing will be until after the season now. I mean, you know, we wait until... Uh, Whatever. I mean, the season, we are down to the last two races, the penultimate event in Brazil, and then a little bit before Thanksgiving, we get to watch Abu Dhabi finish things up. So... Um, although the, one of the few teams where they do have a solid driver lineup, and it is in fact a repeat of this year, is Williams. They are, uh, they are sticking with Felipe Massa and Valtteri Botas. I was a little bit suspicious that Massa was going to be on his way out again, but that's not the case. And boy, oh boy, he proved worthy here. He finished ahead of Botas. Uh, first guy not on the podium, but solid points. And, uh, you know, what I'm hoping for, and I'm, this is also true of Mc, some McLaren folks, what I'm hoping for is that Massa in the near future chooses to say, I'm going to retire from the sport and does so by and, – and then has the advantage of retiring on his own terms. He can say, this is my last year. I'm looking for other things. Then he can say, I've decided I'm going to leave. Someone else hasn't made that decision for me. Right. You remember when he was pushed out of Ferrari by them hiring uh, Raikkonen, and it was like, oh, man, poor Massa, Ferrari, nobody gets a better drive than that. And then the Williams car is way better than the Ferrari this year. <laughs> you know, it's funny well, how these I mean, things pan out. Well, it was that the exact inverse of what you just said was talked about with Pastor Maldonado. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Being Williams, like, oh, man, the Williams is terrible. I'm so happy to get out of here. And finally, I'll get to the Lotus, who's really a consistent front runner. <laughs> and Claire Williams, come on, hottest team principal out there. Let's not... <laughs> Deputy team principal, but come on, dude, she's she's working it. She's like, oh know, boy, she's great. She's a great person, but then, boom, team principal, that's hot. There, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we covered that ground. I I mean, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so we don't. I don't think either. No. Um... STR hasn't confirmed their lineup. Uh, you know, they've talked masks for stopping, but will Jean-Eric Verne stay for next year? I mean, he's been driving his ass off the last two races. Dude, deserves a ride, um, that guy. I mean, just... Either that or, it, you know, if anyone else wants to hire him on. I mean, I don't see many openings for him, uh, especially well, not... Well, let's see. Uh, okay, I'll tell you. Someone that I've never been quite as big a fan of as than you, but, uh, you know, it has been confirmed that Nico Hulkenberg's going to stay with Force India next year. Right. Checo, meh, I don't know. He's still, I mean, there's times where he's quite quick and you say, man, he's really got that uh, Skip Barber juice flowing. But um, there's times where he's off kilter and today was definitely an example of that. 
Jeb and Enforce India, I think that has potential. Yeah, it does. Although next year is the first uh, Mexican Grand Prix, so they'll probably wouldn't want to fire Checo now if there's a whole big media ah, marketing thing. And it's... Esteban Gutierrez. I know. He's so good. Was, uh, was... All hail the Estebans. Joking about that because it's like all this all this uh, attention about, oh, all the Mexican fans are here to see their man Checo Perez. And it's like Esteban Gutierrez is like, what What am I, chopped liver? Come on, guys. It's yeah, like, you know, Mexican might... crickets. <laughs> Maybe. It's, uh... Yeah, I don't know if, if any, you know, if there's a lot of Gutierrez fans out there or not. I mean, obviously, Checo's had these. Did these... you know, ironically enough, Mexican crickets are also made of corn? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Um, but I think part of it is, of course, uh, as you talk about, even, you know, back in the Skip Arbor days and whatever, Checo had really good backing sponsorship from, you know, Telmex and, and all the. Just Telmex. Definitely has his marketing game together. Do you want to know something ironic, though? And this is, I'm, this is no shadow, I've absolutely. He was known as being a bit of a recluse on track. He was a little bit hard to control. He yeah. would do some wild moves in the car. Yeah. Usually behind me because I was too busy too much busy being faster than he was. But. <laughs> and what were you known as exactly in the Skip Barber National Championship? I was the, um, the nice, uh, I was the nice, fast, good-looking guy. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'm, glad I'm pretty sure. I'm glad that's how that was. Nothing else. But anyway, I think. Listen, when I crashed plenty, but I did it on my own. Okay, that's I even better. I didn't, I didn't involve other people. Okay, I can do those things myself. That's very thoughtful of you, and it's very expensive of me. But I do think that Checo Perez is, has more of a, a media personality uh, and a following and stuff. I mean, he, I see him on billboards and stuff in Mexico, and it's definitely he, he's sort of well. It's kind of it's not really different from the Fernando Alonso thing in Spain. Like he really reignited uh, Spain's passion for. Uh, car motorsport because spain was traditionally more of a moto gp uh haven right right and i think it really you know checo has really given mexico a national identity that they can attach to formula one and then esteban gutierrez is like oh, i'm here too guys hello come on yeah anyway um yeah anything else in the rundown i mean Kimi me in uh 13th well, spot and yeah a i lap mean, down dude, jensen button in 12th jensen button all that, i mean which it, is right where he started Jensen Button, there were times where he was looking really strong, and there were times where uh, Magnussen was looking strong. Magnussen held his own, finished in the points, didn't get penalized, uh, which, you know, Yet. that's, you know, soon to come. Uh, but just a, just a sad, unfortunate race for Jensen. Just just right at the end, last few laps, he kind of, he was, I think uh, Magnussen and Jensen were like 7th and 8th. Like lap fifty two, maybe fifty. I don't know where it was exactly, but then just people just started lapping Jensen. Boom, 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 and he's just really fell off. Yeah, it was a little little crazy in the last sort of five laps there, um, especially that. And it was cool. And it wasn't even really to the safety car because the safety car was right at the beginning of the race, but the the field didn't spread out as much as usually happens. Uh, I mean, looking between. You know, Fernando Alonso was 95 seconds behind the leader, um, and then uh, Vettel was just half a second behind him, and then five seconds back to Magnussen, Verne, a couple seconds back to Maldonado. I mean, it was they were really packed together pretty close at the end there, so that's why uh, relatively, this, yeah. You know, this dramatic, uh, you know, Jev running up through the field, and uh, and you know, this resurgence uh, for Vettel at the very end, and all that. Like it was, you know, made for an interesting, uh, interesting battle. Even though at that point the Mercedes were kind of boring to watch because they were just managing the gap, and you know, they were both driving right. quickly but not in an exciting way. But um, Yeah, I mean, I ended up tweeting about that. It's like, I am watching Sector Times. That is what's entertaining me at the moment. And it definitely got better from there. But there were times when it was a little bit light, which is unfortunate. And I think, honestly, that plays into the fact that we had 18 cars and not 22. When there's 22 cars, there's just more going on. And that's even the case for the lead drivers and blue flags. I mean, there's... There's a richness that was uh, missed, and I think the fact that we only had 18 cars and that three of them were pretty much gone right at the beginning, so it was pretty much 15 cars on track, right. made it made for less exciting racing. So more cars, good. More cars is better. Let's less get, cars, let, let's bad. Get, let's get back to bigger grids. And, like, Le Mans is great. And there's 56 cars or whatever, and that's really well, cool. Well, 55 so. and sometimes 56. Right. So 56 is the special garage. Uh, you know, location. Yes. Anyway, and uh, that's and... where Toyotas are. <laughs> All right. Well, we have lots to hear from from our fans. So shall we uh, get into that segment? We shall. We got a number of emails this week. Uh, first one from Paul Peard. 
um, saying, you know, I think based on our conversation after last week, uh, people in general uh, understand the flagging situation better. And of course, this was following on the conversation about Sutil's crash and then Bianchi's crash, of course, after that. And uh, and was the field slowing down enough and all that? But um, one thing he, he Paul uh, says here, one thing that does seem to be coming out without it being said openly is that some of the drivers didn't slow down enough and that the speed limit slash virtual safety car is an immediate area to look at. And he sent this back to us on the th- uh, October 13th, so uh, just you know, short after our, our previous show. And it, that is definitely something that's been talked about now um, uh, quite a bit more in the, in the following weeks um, has been the I mean, virtual safety car is kind of a weird term for it, but just a, a target lap time um, to make sure everyone's, you know, going to that line. And, and they're not doing it in the form of an actual speed limiter, but a, a known, like a, a minimum time to get from this part of the track to the next part of the track, um, which is debatably uh, helpful because that's, uh, uh, it's one more thing for the driver to be looking at. And you can imagine if, if a driver is so focused on the lights and numbers and stuff on his dashboard and maybe not following what's going on in the race, especially if it's raining or whatever, then that could be its own issue. So something like the, the speed limiter, like in the pit lane, once you set that, your car just isn't going any faster. So there's still some debates to be had to, uh, to be, uh, you know, as that, you know, kind of gets, gets debated out and we talk about what the right solution is. But Paul continues, I can't help but feel that Bianchi was going to have a big accident irrespective of the crane being on the circuit. If he didn't hit that, it would have gone fast nose into the barrier or possibly into the marshals or marshals post, perhaps with a better outcome for him, perhaps worse. But Sutil's accident, nor the crane, nor the resulting yellow flags appear to be the cause of Bianchi's accident, which I think is an interesting point. I think, I think that's definitely true about the cause of the accident, uh, although I think it's uh we of course we don't know but i think it's unlikely that bianchi's accident would have been worse had he hit the barrier as opposed to the crane what was unique about the crane was uh how quickly and forcefully uh, that became uh, a direct hit to the head Right, Whereas like a barrier a, would have had a lot of car to absorb energy first. Yeah, like an overhang is sort of the worst exactly. possible thing. And, of course, it does um, have, uh, I think, echoes of uh, Maria de Viota's crash. I was just going to mention that. Which exactly was also Marusha, right. which was also, you know, just equipment that, you know, shouldn't have been right in the driver's path. And it's just one of these weird things where there's so much safety that people look at. But on, uh, every once in a while, you know, things can just, for whatever reason, you know, protocols aren't followed or something is just, you know, in the, in the case of Maria's, it was like a weird sight line as she's driving into the pit to this you know, the paddock area where they're just uh, you know yeah, working on the moving car quickly, and stuff. But and, yeah, yeah, just but it was right to the head. Just a weird one, and it was one. very much a fixed piece right. of equipment. And I mean, that's they're just not made to to have any deformation or give it all. So man, um, it's it's of course uh, very unfortunate in both cases. And, but uh, but to the point of the cause of the accident, right. that's that's definitely true. And right. to the point that it was an an accident that could have that would have been many G's and potentially sustained in. in Injury, absolutely. And in the off chance that uh, Bianchi found a way to slip in between the barriers and end up in the grandstand somehow. Because it does seem like there was like an opening. There was a very small likelihood, but there was a path. Right. Uh, you know, that could have been detrimental. But boy, the point ultimately is where we have to stick is that the scenario that happened, we need to make sure isn't repeated. And it has to be done so in a smart way that we aren't just saying, okay, this very specific accident won't be repeated, but accidents and accidents like this won't be repeated. And I think even broader, what we want to what we want to say is that when there's any kind of incident on the track, that incident doesn't bring about another incident right. that ends up being more severe. I mean, it goes even in uh, you know highway traffic in the states at least. You know, it's all too common. You have an accident on the interstate and then rubberneckers, as they're uh, lovingly called, they're looking and they end up rearing someone on the other side of the interstate because they aren't paying attention. Right. You know, and that's in no way what I'm trying to say happened here. But I'm saying that's generally what we want to avoid here. We want to avoid that. Right. And in a similar uh, tone, uh, Jay Dalton has sent us an email. I've actually worked with Jay in the past, so it's cool to hear from you. He says, sorry to mix work and F1. No worries there, Jay. Um, <laughs> but he has a question which no one has addressed. No one on TV, no one on BBC, and you guys have missed it. During the Japanese Grand Prix, the safety car came on the track lap 43 or 44. Clearly on TV, the medical car with the doctor was also released and in fact passed the safety car immediately going to the scene while the safety car slowed to pick up front runners. When a medical car is on track, guys, that's a red flag condition. Instead, with waving yellows, a third car could have hit the scene with the doctors out running around. They went about three more laps exposed to the field and pouring rain. 
Jay says, very simple. Medical car equals red flag. Is this not a rule? And it's it not, though. It's, it's, it's not a rule as it sits now, which is uh, it, it's a valid point, I think, to bring up. But, I mean, it's really not how it works at the moment as far as we understand it. That's correct. And it's, it's not a rule, and I'm not exactly certain it's necessary. Uh, one thing, I mean, this is moot and stupid, actually, to bring up, but it was something I absolutely noticed is that the safety car came out with the um, safety car, um, the medical car with the safety car, but that uh, maybe we didn't podcast about that part. Point being, though, when the safety car comes out, that is definitely a, a new and unique condition, which is, as opposed to a local yellow somewhere on the track, the entire course has gone uh, yellow. And in addition to that, the speed has been is now going to be heavily regulated by the safety car. Which will go slower around the scene of an accident than at the other parts of the track where he's going to go sort of flat-out Mercedes SLS speed instead of, you know, flat-out Formula 1 speed. And absolutely go slower generally than F1 cars go in a local yellow condition otherwise. Absolutely. And so it's a much slower, much more controlled um, speed. And in that condition, in that particular condition... As the medical car is behind the safety car, and I do not think that it is necessarily unsafe for the medical car to be out uh, on on the track when the cars are out there under safety car conditions. Right. And, of course, the medical car is a weird one because if there's any chance that a driver ha- has any kind of injury, they'll send out the medical car. I mean, if the, if the driver hops out of the car and is, like, just walking back or he's really pissed or he's throwing his helmet yeah, or whatever... Yeah, he finds some random scooter to get on. Yeah, then there's probably, like, okay, we don't need to send it. But otherwise, you know, you don't know if you need the medical car, but the whole point is, like, you want to be there as quickly as possible in case that's needed. So if I, I think if it, it would maybe be overkill to say, as soon as the medical car is on track, let's red flag it, because the red flag, I mean, of course, it's secondary to safety, but it does you know, really interrupt the, the race and the flow of the race because then the, the clock stops right then and there. The positions sometimes are calculated back to the previous start-finish line crossing and sometimes, you know, moves have been made since that or whatever. Um, you know, somebody might be in the pit stops and then that changes everything. Everybody's got to – it's like it really it really interrupts the, the you know, what's going on in the race, um, which is completely fine if, you know, someone is in dire need of medical attention. But the thing is you don't know if they need that uh, until – uh, until the medical car gets there, and even then, you don't have to assess what's going on. And all this takes even just a few minutes can be a lap or two laps or whatever. So, um, it's it's worth considering um, is if there's some sort of, you know, I don't know because I feel like if they if they need to red flag the race, they'll red flag the race. And in this case, they did uh, in in Japan once they sort of realized what was going on and said, okay, there's this crash. This is this is a serious crash, but also there were so many reasons. We red need flag to, at yeah, this we point. need <laughs> to clear this, and there's but, already marshals, and oh, it's getting dark. Oh, and the rain is getting worse. Oh, and we've already gone past our you know three quarters race distance. Oh, and, all that. and typhoon. Right, yeah, there were uh, lots of things. So you know, in this case, it sort of uh, you know it seems like it was handled about as well as it could be with all the information that was coming in as it was. So um, you know, I guess that's uh, the the way it is, and it sounds like you and I, Robin, are okay with it, and. Um, you know, maybe something that uh, people can continue to look at, though, in the, in the coming weeks. To that end, uh, you know, been keeping an eye on this a uh, little bit. There is no new news about uh, Jules Bianchi. It is, you know, the the family is basically saying, hey, thank you for showing all the support you've shown. We are sorry we can't give uh, new updates, but it is basically Jules is in the same condition. He is in critical but stable condition, which is basically, you know, a condition I know all too well. It's basically, look, he's not in good shape, but he's not getting any worse. And, uh, you know, that is really as much as anything that is, that is good news because your body just needs time to sort out, uh, sort itself out from a big accident like this. So I'm still very hopeful that, uh, good news from, uh, the Bianchi family will be coming soon. Um, but at that point he is, he is, uh, still essentially in the same condition. He is still in the original hospital in Japan, yeah. in Japan. So, uh, that is the one unfortunate bit. It would have been very lovely to hear that his condition improved enough that they could take him to a different, more major hospital in Tokyo, for example. But, you know, maybe that, maybe that isn't, 
anything at all. Maybe this hospital is fully capable and there's no good reason to move them there. So, uh, but that's, that's the latest news there. Right. Um, and a couple of people asked us after our previous show talking about Bianchi's accident and a little bit more um, and how that relates in, a, in some ways to Michael Schumacher's accident. And then, of course, Robin, to your uh, traumatic brain injury and, and accident and recovery and kind of just what we talked about, you know, how it takes time and what news you might expect to see and so on. So I guess I would refer people back if they're interested in, in knowing a bit more of the history there to episode 147, uh, which was called Get Well, Michael, um, which was from uh, early, uh, very early this year. Um, and where you and I talk uh, pretty exclusively about, um, you know, the crash uh, and, you know, Michael's situation, uh, obviously, the, you know, the skiing accident uh, and then but the recovery and talking to the media and how that all kind of works, but just kind of how it fits in with doctors as it relates to your brain injury and recovery and, the, you know, the timelines and how, you know, kind of what that's like to go through that because you have that very unique experience of uh, having seen it from that side and what you remember and what you don't and yeah. how time how time goes as and whatever. As time marches forward, though, my experience is becoming less unique, which is um, unfortunate. Right. Uh, but it is, and I will say uh, very broadly, that uh, myself, Michael Schumacher, and Jules Bianchi did get an axonal blunt force trauma. You know, uh, uh, Michael and Jules both were wearing helmets, but they hit their heads really, really, really hard. And uh, and it's the same kind of thing for me. They, you know, it was nothing sharp. It was just a smack right to the head. It wasn't torsional. There wasn't a twisting. There wasn't this weird bending. It was just something hit really, really hard and causing causing some problems. Indeed. So that's episode 147, if, uh, if anyone wants to hear more about that. And we will move on from here. Um, another email, actually, from Mark Williams, who sent just after the race today. We love um, emails. Guys, just to say, uh, this has been this has to be one of the best track on the F1 calendar for overtaking. Turn 1 is awesome with so many different lines in and out. It encourages moves that just make you smile as a fan. I think we saw John Eric Vern take advantage of that today. Yes. Uh, Mark says, uh, even with four cars missing the race, missing, the race delivered again. Now, the Mercedes have so much in hand on the others, it's embarrassing, but the others just need to get their act together for next year. Lewis has complete control in the race over Nico, but considering he was rated as the fastest driver um, over a lap, it's a surprise that Nico has outshone him in qualifying. Uh, I suppose the double points race will just add to the excitement, but as a racing fan, it seems a shame that a DNF for Lewis and a win for Nico would deny the best driver the title. I think everyone, just me talking for a second, everyone has <laughs> done the same math that we did and sort of looking forward, like, if this happens and then if that happens, this would be crazy. Uh, and as, as sort of looking at, the, looking at the math, getting slightly ahead of ourselves, just hope they seem... They see sense and go back to normal next year. Best wishes, Mark Williams. I think I think they will see sense go back to normal next year. That's the tone. But uh, one thing that uh, to give the Hamilton fans specifically a little bit of uh, calm. More than the strict race results, I think what we're seeing in Rosberg in terms of his radio uh, communications at the end of races and his body language in uh, leading up to the podium cer- ceremonies. Rosberg is becoming more and more dejected. He is emotionally having a harder time seeing how he can win this. And when is when your head's not in something, it's it's that much. I mean, that's a huge factor. Right. Your mental focus and your mental opinion. I mean, we saw that earlier this year with Lewis Hamilton. When Lewis Hamilton was down, he was just going further and further down. And so I think. Uh, I think, especially now that Lewis has secured his fifth win in a row, and we're going to a place that we know Lewis has won a championship before and also um, triumphed in before, that there's no reason to think that Lewis can't uh, continue this event and use this to his advantage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, there's a lot of Hamilton fans in the U.S., uh, certainly, um, I know I count myself among them. I've got my uh, Hamilton shirt on today. It's, a, it's an old McLaren one. I but... was going to say McLaren. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you're right. It's like Nico um, has sort of, I mean, especially with, uh, I mean, with, you know, the mistake at Monza, the obviously spa before that, um, and just kind of the, the weird ways things have been going for him. It's like he's gotten more desperate. And even though he's, he's he hasn't made any really desperate moves on track, you know nothing on today was was a really questionable move or whatever. It's just like, you know, after the race he's sort of looking to looking to assign blame. He's like, well, what the hell happened in the first stint, guys? Why did I have to push so hard? Yeah, Why did I mess up my tires? It wasn't uh, it wasn't like he had control of it. It was like, yeah, you know, this this is this really you know I had to deal with this issue on the car or 
man, my head really wasn't in the right place. You know, I'm sorry about that. It was just like, you know, more of a frantic, like, what the hell's going on? You know, I had pole position, which may have had to do with Hamilton's brake issue in qualifying or whatever, who knows. But uh, like we say, it seems like when it's just an outright fair fight, Lewis Hamilton usually comes out on top. And, um, and I guess there is something to be said for, you know, if double points, if uh, we talked about this earlier, of course, but um, if uh, Rosberg wins, you know, arguably because of double points, it's, it's one thing, to, one way to put it. But you could also say, you know, especially if he wins by a point, it's just as much to do with the reliability of Hamilton's car with that spark plug failure in Australia, you know, where um, if that would have been 25 points for Hamilton, that's that's 25 points that matters just as much as 25 points at the end of the season, you know. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of, uh, okay, just because of double points, you know, the best driver doesn't win. As Of course, we have to keep in mind, it's the best driver in the best car. I mean, look at, you know, Vettel's success in the last four years and, um, you know, look at some of the other one-off championships with uh, Jacques Villeneuve or, you know, Damon Hill or some of these guys where it's um, it's not just about who is the best driver. It's about who has the most points at the end of the year by virtue of solid wins, solid car, solid strategy, um, lots of second places, lots of third places, even when the other guys are mixing around. You know, it's it's really just all about the points and however you get there and not something that whoever, you know, is the best just just earns it and deserves it. So, um, you know, it's it, it's easy to, to, I think, point fingers at double points and say, man, this is all stupid. But, um, you know, there's, there's obviously more angles to it than that. But I think uh, we made our our thoughts clear on uh, double points a little bit earlier in the in the podcast already. Um, I just wanted to uh, generally give a shout out to our uh, commenters on Facebook, uh, Jim Helwig and Scott Christie, uh, on our last episode, and uh, and then some more folks. Uh, Jim Helwig again, um, as long as well as uh, Juan Gonzalez, Nadim Ziegricht. I'm Ziggy. sure I sure I said that wrong. That's Ziggy. Ian uh, Dybel, um, Albert Palmer, thank you for a name I can pronounce, uh, Mark Pujol, uh, for those guys commenting on uh, where Alonso's heading. The the momentum is definitely, a lot of people are saying it's got to be McLaren. Some folks are saying, no, they think it's Mercedes, and there's other things going along. But the, the leading idea is that he's headed to to McLaren, which I have to admit that I agree. Right. Oh, we didn't even talk about the whole third car thing in this show. We'll save that for next one. We've got, yes. we've got plenty to cover there. And also, um, in, in response to the news about Marusha, uh, Bernard A. had something to say, Chris Jones, uh, Rob Buckland, and uh, Gustavo... Oh, Gustavo Barrichello. I, I dig that. Um, and also, uh, no one commented, but we got some likes. Uh, Jim's, Jim's uh, internet fame... Um, being a part of Drive on Lightning Lap, which uh, I have not yet seen myself yet, which shame on me. Uh, it definitely um, going to do so as well. And there's actually um, maybe we should uh, lead you guys in. I, Jim and I kind of indirectly, Jim's worked on this too, but some videos for my day job um, are up on YouTube now. Maybe we should show that too. But much more importantly, uh, Jim is uh, Jim had something to say um, in front of the cameras, and I think that's very cool. Yeah, and actually, uh, thanks to John from CA, which I think means California, but might mean Canada, um, who actually commented on uh, on the previous show, um, but he's noticed that video. He says, what the hell? You know, firstly, uh, really? First Robin on Road and Track, and now Jim on Car and Driver. What's next? Caterham Investors? We talked about that, though. If they sell those cars cheap and we can buy a Caterham, then that would be fun. Yes. Or um, Marusha Investors. He says, he <laughs> says, you guys are like the Dos Equis most interesting men in the world, which... I would totally agree. I think that's probably correct. I um, would. I would say that I. I. I should be third at least. <laughs> um, John continues. I've been listening since two thousand nine. You should really talk more about what you do, which I think is an interesting idea. Maybe sometime we'll do a podcast about the rest of. It our, could be an off season thing. I mean, um, yeah. We, we. You know, the one of the reasons why we the new name we chose was fun with cars is because that is something that Jim and I both really embody. In our day jobs as well. And our daily lives. And our daily lives, exactly. And, you know, that's that's the type of thing. But, you know, Formula One is the pinnacle of cars in many ways, and that's what we have fun with. Sort of, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> John continues. Your uh, nonchalant sort of. In all seriousness, you guys have connections to these historical magazines. Let's get you guys doing a monthly podcast for Car and Driver or Road and Track. <laughs> That's a whole other ball of wax. Man, oh my god. Uh, you could obviously talk about F1, but also fun with cars. I would love to hear your opinions on new cars like Mustang versus Camaro, etc. I'm going to Austin this week. Thanks to you guys keeping us few Americans interested. 
Um, so thank you for the for the oh, comment, John. Oh, that's a really nice compliment at the end. Thank you. Well, man. I don't know if that was. He says if if there was like a supposed to be like he's going to Austin this week completely separately. Hey, thanks to you guys, or if he actually means he's going to Austin, thanks to us. But either way, well, either way, um, nice compliment. Glad to hear that. Uh, hey, he went to Austin and I think was entertained probably with a good race. Hopefully, he sat in the turn twelve grandstand where you and I were to uh, see the the main action happening. Um, although there which, was a, which there is was, once again would pass for the lead. Was, although there was plenty of action in turn one as well, you have to say, and plenty of action turn in one turn was nineteen exciting, with yeah. AstroTurf. Oh my God! Wide. Yeah, I actually, it's a good point. Turn one to see Jeb just totally ram <laughs> Crochon. Yeah, and through the start and some, you know, some good moves with Alonzo and the various guys there. So anyway, thank you, John, from that. And of course, since then, I did uh, post. And on maybe one of them got to see Matt LeBlanc. <gasps> oh my God! Or Anthony Edwards. He's so oh my old God. now. Uh, so. Uh, so, yeah, there's that, that YouTube video. So if, if you haven't checked it out and want to see what I look like talking about my day job, then you can certainly do that. And maybe at some point in the future we will tell you the uh, the thrilling story behind the two most interesting men in the world, which is really not nearly as thrilling. Which and, is it but, boastful for me to say that it's it's because of me in a very indirect way. It's because of me that Jim has that interesting job because that's kind of true. Right. I mean, yeah. Because I introduced you to the guy that introduced you to the guy that got you the role of V-Box. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, you introduced me to Formula One for one thing. I can that's say that true. much. You know, that I that's knew about cars and stuff before but not racing nearly so much until we were roommates and you're, I'm like, what are you watching? He's like, Formula One. What is this, Michael Schumacher? He just wins all the time. What the hell? Anyway, <laughs> pretty much how it went. Yeah, well, yeah. We, the beginning, it's the beginning. There's so many love stories. Yes, love stories. That's how I thought that sentence was going to end. Um, okay, we did have a great following on Twitter today because, of course, nice U.S. Grand Prix, U.S. time zones, and good times for us to be awake. Extremely Even, convenient. Uh, I was, so I was able to actually live tweeted during qualifying until there was something of a diaper disaster that needed my attention, and I had to uh, stop live tweeting, which And happens. again, I'm sorry. God. Uh, which happens every once in a while you in my house now. You don't have to keep now. bringing it up. But uh, so all the, all the usual suspects: Laurie Jordan was in there, Colin Sato, Bernard A, um, Paul Alston, all all, the, all of our buddies. David Muir was in there. Um, anyway, just hashtag FW Cars. Oh, Joao was in Dude, effect again. And I tweeted some yes, during the race today. That's amazing. That's that is true. Um, so thanks for folks following along. And uh, if you're not following. Definitely please visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the shows directly. You can see these blog posts and videos and things that we talk about um, putting together. And um, also you can see links to our Facebook page and Twitter feeds and hashtag FWCars and all kinds of other fun stuff. So, whew. I think that we had a lot of feedback today, but that was... Uh, Which is fantastic. That Seriously, was good this is a good one. Yes, and we always look forward to more. So please keep it coming. And also you can email feedback at funwithcars.com. So, of course, everyone finally started following my lead, and now we're all agreeing on the correctness, which is Hamilton Hamilton, who once again was not on pole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. It's, uh, you know, it's a funny situation where Rosberg does seem to have, you know, multiple times now, it's been mano y mano, no one has an excuse, and Rosberg does seem to have the edge there but uh once again it was one point for one point for all the ham hams and uh did anyone get it right um probably but so the oh that's right the predictions is a little bit wonky this time because that's um, right. it was pretty you know not not a whole lot of notice uh before the race that it was announced that of course Caterham and marusha would not be taking part so all of a sudden and any kind of change in the lineup is more work for the um, always helpful Neil predictions stud Popham. So, Extremely helpful, um, yes. So we, I guess he may have to tweak some things around to take to you know change his program basically to the realities of Formula One for this race and and do that. So we don't have the full leaderboard yet, but uh, we always appreciate all the effort Neil puts into these. And I don't think he was live to watching this one um, because uh, he wasn't uh, taking part in the Twitter and stuff. So uh, he may be he may be out doing uh, other things right now. So we always appreciate your effort, Neil, and no rush. But uh, we don't have the full results in yet. But what we can say is that. You, sir, Robin, and I, and our spreadsheet model all went with Hamilton, Hamilton, um, and we were all off by one, but still, eh, pretty reasonable calculation. Um, if anyone predicted Vettel for pole, they would have been sorely hurt because of his 18th, 18th place starting position. Yes. But who really, at this point, would put Vettel on pole? Well, know. You, know, it, you know, he had to change his entire power unit, and uh, that means starting for the pit lane, so... right. So anyway, um, we hopefully uh, keep, keep track of the uh, predictions uh, in the coming days and that all the results and everything will be put in there correctly. Well, and it'll be, you know, 
very soon that we are podcasting again. So, so the real question is, what's going to happen in Brazil? Are you sticking with your Hamilton Hamilton prediction? Or are you going to change it up? Ooh, I couldn't answer as simply as I originally wanted to. I am sticking with my prediction. Here's the thing. I think now that Hamilton himself can see the light towards the championship, he's going to keep right on going. I think I think mentally Rosberg is at a deficit compared to Hamilton, and that's the biggest reason that I'm sticking with Hamilton. Hamilton. Here's another thing. I think um, uh, the Williams car looks really strong. Red Bull car is still cruising quite well with Ricardo behind the wheel at least. And I think if anyone's going to give them trouble, it's going to be Williams. I just don't think anyone's going to give them trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Massa, you know, home boost, uh, being in front of his uh, countrymen at home and whatever it may do really well. But even so, uh, yeah, I, I think as, uh, as kind of boring as it is, uh, I will, I'm going to go with the same. Uh, Damien, the spreadsheet, of course, thinks that Hamilton will will be will win the race, but thinks that Rosberg will be on pole. So we'll see if that turns out to be the better bet, or if our uh, team human Hamilton Hamilton predictions stand. So um, be sure and enter your predictions if you want to change what you've got in there from uh, from this race, and, uh, and you have to check in uh, later on this week when hopefully everything is up to date and uh, we can see where everyone stands. But for the moment, I uh, as of after the Russian Grand Prix was in nineteenth place. Um, so not, yeah, and not I was in excellent. an 147th or something. It I don't, I don't even know. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that much better. I mean, it was 100 and something. I think 107th, 102nd actually. 102nd place. Oh, well, so look at me moving you might, up. You might get into double digits, depending on how everyone else predicted for uh, for the U.S. So anyway, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And, uh, we Robin look Warner's to... goal has always been to be the top 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You won predictions outright out of every single person. You won it, uh, was it last year or was it the year before? Yeah, back um, when predictions was hard. You had to guess Vettel. <laughs> <laughs> now it's all you have to guess Hamilton every time. That's I mean, way more letters. Oh, or Rosberg. Yeah, maybe. Which is whatever. That's 50-50. But you had to guess Vettel <laughs> before. I, yeah. I mean, is anyone else seeing this? Fair enough. Um, anyway, uh, just a week's time until uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix, and hopefully we'll be able to do some more live tweeting and whatnot. Um, it is a lot more chaotic uh, trying to keep up with everything going on live and doing it, but it was fun as well. So, um, uh, it, Dude, twittering is hard. <laughs> I mean, let's just let, – I don't know how you kids do it, but yeah. uh, I'd, be, I'd be twittering, and then I'd be like, oh, what happened in the thing? And I'm like, oh, I got to Twitter about what happened in the thing, and then I miss another thing. Yeah. And then watching coverage that doesn't have commercials is like, when do I pee? Exactly. <laughs> God. Anyway. This is hard. First world problems, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> thank you, as always, for uh, hanging with us and uh, listening to the show and following us online and so on. Until um, just a week's time, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Uh, yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done the Texas thing yet, so that's a Texas thing. That's a solid thing. Although, I, real quick, I mean, you can roll credits or whatever it goes on. We don't have credits. You can roll the thing. But um, it was very funny. Uh, Mario Andretti, great man. I've actually met him personally, and I know his grandson a little bit. Terrible interview on the podium. And uh, Lewis Hamilton, there was a fun moment where he was like, he didn't quite say it right, but he's like, oh, man, Mario, I want your Stetson. I just have this regular hat. Like, Lewis was into uh, the big 10-gallon hat to be worn and was bummed about the thing. Are the credits, are the credits playing right now, or oh, am I just sure. talking? The show is Like, whatever. Should I just start singing England now? No. Like, I feel like at this point it's just going into random Robin again. Yeah. Yeehaw is the point, and I'm saying it again defiantly.